Hello, my friend. Jeff C. here with a great new resource that I put together just for you. It's a complete database of all the tools that I use to create content and run my business. I've got apps, software, hardware, and even my favorite AI tools. It's easy to find what you need and tells you exactly how I'm using them in my business. To get access to my toolbox, just go to jeffc.com forward slash toolbox. That's J-E-F-F. S is in Sam, I-E-H. That's I before E, especially in C. That's how my mama had me learn it. So go check it out. And if you haven't heard me say it in a while, I appreciate you listening, my friend. And now, on with the episode. Keeping you up to date on the world of social media. Industry experts, innovators, creators, storytellers, and the latest social media tools, tips, and tactics. This is Social Media News Live. Welcome to Social Media News Live. I'm Jeff C. And you're not. And this is the show that keeps you up to date in the world of social media. Today, we'll be talking with Brooke B. Sellis about her new book, Conversations That Connect, how to connect, converse, and convert through social media listening and social-led customer care. By the way, we are talking about this all over on Amazon Live, so you can get her book. You can watch the replay over there if you're listening to the podcast. Go to jeffc.live to uh, go over there and, and check us out. That's Jeff, and the last name is spelled S is in Sam, I-E-H, dot live. I before E, especially in C. That's how my mom taught me to say it in kindergarten. So, um, Brooke, so excited that you're here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me back for the third time. I, I know. Really isn't that special. amazing? Yeah. I feel super special, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so because you're, like I said, in the, the kind of the preamble is that you're wicked smart. And we've got our friends showing up, the amazing uh, Brian Farrell. He's uh, at Barcelona back? Are you in Spain? I don't know. He's a world traveler. He's an amazing photographer. Um, thanks, Brian, for joining with us. And our good friend, Gary Stockton. Gary, this is, I know it's going to be a show for you because you work for some of these big companies. You do amazing marketing stuff. So ask your questions of Brooke because uh, this, she's smart. I've said this, I'll say this numerous times during this thing. She's just super impressive. So make sure, thank you, Gary, for watching us today. But we're going to be talking about her book, Conversations That Connect. Once again, it is highlighted underneath us at uh, on Amazon, on Amazon Live, jeffc.live. You can go follow us there. And Gary says, I'm I'm blushing. So if you don't know Brooke, you should because she is the In the Trenches founder and CEO of B Squared -squared Media, an award-winning social media advertising and customer care agency. Uh, Her marketing mantra is think conversation, not campaign. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but be sure to give her a shout out on all of those socials. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking all things customer care and social listening and conversations that connect today. I mean, you know, it's my jam. It's been my jam for a long (laughs) time. The whole thing, conversation, not campaign has been my jam for like over 10 years. That's right. It's, and I have been following, I remember when I met you the first time we got to see each other in real life at social media marketing world, I think it was on the aircraft carrier and it was just like, Oh, because I'd seen you (laughs) on all the socials on Twitter and everywhere for so long. So it was so, so much fun to uh, meet you. Uh, One, you mentioned, you know, community and kind of um, customer care. And I wanted to do a shout out to our sponsors of the show, which is uh, Ecamm. You can find all about them at uh, socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. 
But we just finished last week. Grace and I actually spoke there on their leap into podcasting. It was all about video podcasting. They're actually giving, you can get their replays. If you go to merch.ecam.com, there's like guides. I think there's a digital version for, it. you know, I think maybe 20, 25 bucks. And then there's a print version for 30, but it gives you access to all the replays like multiple years. So if you're interested in podcasting, you need to go check that out at merch.ecam.com. Uh, once again, they're the sponsor of the show. We big shout out to them for uh, helping us that way. So, all right, conversations that connect. What I wanted to know, first of all, Brooke, is what made you decide to write this book, you know, specifically this book? Well, I had been wanting to write a book for so long. Chris Penn, who mm, you, I know mm-hmm. you know, yeah. is a good friend of mine in the marketing space. And I think it was at Social Media Marketing World, that same <laughs> trip when I got to meet right. you, IRL was saying to me, you know, you really should write a book. And so he kind of planted that seed and it took, you know, all those years to finally just go and 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 do it because the doing part is obviously, you know, difficult, <laughs> not fun. Right, right. But I'm so glad I did because you get to take all of this knowledge that you have in your head and put it down for other people to share in, which is really what I tried to do with the book is like, tell people, you know, in part one, here's the psychology behind it. But in part two, like, and here's how you can Mm -hmm. do it. Like I pulled back the curtain and gave the step-by-step, step-by-step instructions. Yeah. So how long did it take you to actually write this book? About a year. Really? Yeah. It took me about a year. And you know what? I spent three months of that year on the outline alone. That would be my like (laughs) author advice is to spend the majority of your time on the outline because I think that's why I was able to get a book out in seven months is because I spent three of it on, on the outline itself, just making sure that like flow worked and I was getting everything that I wanted out there and that I had enough chapters and enough information and all those good things. So I wanted to ask you, because did you have like a team that you would like trickle chapters to uh, that would mm-hmm. kind of look at it? Because, I mean, you came on the show last time and you hadn't even launched the book, but you gave uh, Grace and I like an advanced copy to read like a PDF form. Did you have a whole team that kind of like you would go like, hey, what do you think about this? Or how did you kind of yes. roll out? Okay. Yes. I, this was it takes a village, I would say. Also, mm-hmm. um, I had a, an amazing content editor who's been a friend and client of mine for probably eight years, seven or eight years, Tanya Ponton. So shout out to Tanya. She was my content editor. Every word ran past her. Mm. Um, and then I had somebody who helped me with Tanisha, who helped me with uh, she's a, what we call a sensitivity writer. Mm. Um, I'm older, believe it or not. I'm 42. And so sometimes I have a habit of saying things in a privileged person, older person perspective. So I wanted to make sure that some of those sensitive topics that I talked about were being portrayed the way they should be. I had somebody who helped me with create all of the images, Chris on our team, shout out to Chris. And then I had Ken help me as you and I were talking about before the show started with the Kindle Mm -hmm. digital imaging portion of it, because that was really important to me to get the digital images on Kindle correct, as we talked about, which doesn't always happen. Yeah, in fact, so I was, Brooks sent me a a copy of it myself, and I've got, she even wrote a nice little thing on there for me, which is, I thought was very, very cool. But I bought the Kindle edition because I actually, uh, one, my wife makes me do that if I buy books, but I'm trained myself, I take my notes in Kindle now because I like to highlight things. I don't like Mm -hmm. doing it in physical books, that's one of my big pet peeves, and, um, uh, but, 
it, I have a service that actually takes those notes and puts them to like a database where I can, it's always surfaced in, in my mind. It sends me emails and stuff. So that's why I do it. And that's why I buy the books, even if they're sent to me, because it's that good folks. So make sure you guys, if you're watching, by the way, I've got uh, Brian over on, um, uh, he's over on Amazon Live. He said, yeah, he's back in the UK. But if you want to join us and actually get Brooks' book, make sure that you go over to jeffc.live. That's where you'll h- hook up with my Amazon storefront. We're streaming there live. So go watch it. If you start here, I'm so happy that you're here. But this one time, I want you to go over to Amazon Live so you can get Brooks' books because it is that good. So one of the things, Brooke, I wanted to talk about, um, and it's funny, before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about transparency because I did not know this until I read your book that your first name is actually not Brooke, it's Jennifer. And I almost wanted to change your lower third here on the title because I was like, oh, I'll get her with Jennifer and throw her off. But I, so, why, so why did you lead with that in the book? But I thought it was really great because it talked about a little bit about transparency. You know, it's interesting. The, the the way that I brought it up in the book was when we talk about the social penetration theory, which I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll get into yeah. more into depth on. But, um, you know, a fact is saying my name is Brooke. And the interesting part about that theory is that it, a fact is not a fact unless it's otherwise unknown. So once I tell you that my name is Brooke or that, by the way, my first name is actually Jennifer and I've gone by my middle name my whole life, which is Brooke, that fact is no longer a fact if you hear it again. It becomes a cliche. And I thought that was important because if you look a lot of at a lot of the branded content that we see on social media, it's very factual based, mm-hmm. but it's not considered a disclosure if it's repetitive. Mm, yeah. I th- I, so. I, we're going to get into the social theory later, but because there's a there's a lot of things that I want to talk about about that. But at the very beginning of the book, you mentioned, um, and this is a direct quote, it says, many analysts believe that the pandemic pulled forward the rate of online interactions by at, least, by at least three years, and in some industries, by as many as 10 years. So this is a big deal. So can you talk a little bit about the impact of this for businesses in 2022, where we're we're at right now? Yeah, I mean, if you look at really any of the marketing research that's out there, what we're seeing is that more and more people, even those who were a little more hesitant to shop online or Mm -hmm. do research online, have now turned to online channels to shop really right. to take care of every every kind of shopping and i'm not just talking about you know buying small things from amazon i'm talking about high dollar purchases and luxury purchases as right. well so as marketers we need to push for digital transformation but also understand all of the things that come along with doing digital transfer, transformation correctly and so you know when we're talking about the digital customer journey we're talking about everything starting from awareness all the way through to you know retention loyalty advocacy Mm -hmm. it's all happening online now and i think a lot of people are only doing little bits and pieces whereas they need to look at it holistically for the entire journey to work and and to do better with their marketing awesome so (laughs) it's funny that when you when when i saw this quote and i thought about how you know many people because the pandemic have moved online a lot of stores finally I mean, I did really good business. A lot of people who were in the marketing space who knew how to bring people online, do video online, all this stuff, got a lot of business because everybody was scrambling to do it, you know, because yeah. that's what was happening. The interesting thing is we talked, we were talking in kind of in the green room before the show about like I wear contacts like one hour on Fridays for this show. Um, but my optometrist, and you know, you've, you used to live in Texas, so you understand how big a deal this yes. is. I was able to schedule my appointment and talk ba- and send them my insurance card and all that stuff through my phone, like text messaging, which 
is really amazing for East Texas doctor stuff. But I'm like, I, I even told him in the office, I said, you don't understand how amazing this is for this area. And it's so easy because everybody's on there. But more and more companies have to do that or their competitors are. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many things that we can look at as far as like what happened, like think about even just like grocery shopping, right? Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, a lot of us moved to kind of like the online shopping or you you go, you know, get it delivered, you right. park into the, the like right. Walmart now has huge dedicated parking right. areas for the people who shop online and then come pick up. Mm -hmm. you know, from their car. We we started shopping uh, through Amazon Whole Foods in the pandemic. Oh, and yeah. honestly, even though things have gotten better, we haven't stopped doing it because it's so convenient. Right. And I think that's what yeah. we have to think about when we think about that digital customer journey and the path to purchase. How easy are you making it for someone to go from awareness to purchase? And I yeah. think a lot of companies need to do a better job of that. Yeah. Or they're, they're going to be left behind. I mean, because their competitors are more than willing to get that business by just doing that by and all Walmart did was change the center section of their, you know, where their shopping carts are, where, you know, people can drive up and they just put signs up. And now, you know, they hired people to bring it out. So, I mean, for a small amount of change, they were able to, you know, really make some convenience and drive some really uh, great loyalty, I think, for for people who shop there. Um, one of the things you mentioned, and this is in the same vein in your book, it says customer experience and customer loyalty are defined by their online experience. So that's what we've been talking about, you know, the ease of use, all that stuff. And you mentioned many times in the book, social led customer care. So can you explain what that means and how that is different from, let's say, like traditional customer service? Certainly. So when we think about traditional customer service, we often think about like a call center, um, which we're you know, social ed customer care doesn't replace that, by the right. way. But what we're seeing again, because all of this digital transformation is happening, is that less people want to sit on hold and listen to your Kenny <laughs> right. G hold music right. for an hour and a half, you know. And there is also email, but as I the prediction I make in the book is that, you know, in the next couple of years, I think social will take over email as mm -hmm. the number one servicing channel. And that's because of the quickness that is expected and that sometimes happens on social media, right? If we want to complain and we want an answer and we haven't been able to get a response on phone or email, what do we do? We typically go to like Twitter right. and we complain and we tag the brand because we know they're going to be probably more responsive there than they have been through phone or email. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, and we're, I want to, we're going to get into that later because uh, there's an example that I wanted to, to ask you about, but the other thing that I found fascinating, and I and you've been using this for years, the think conversion, not compa uh, campaign. That's your tagline. And you trademarked it. Like, so how did that come about? Because um, you had some vision, like, I mean, I think you did this, like, like, before you even had a business, you trademarked this. So talk about how you came up with this. And then, like, you know, how it kind of drove your whole company. Yeah. So funnily enough, before I started B Squared Media, I was working for a, a sales and training company in Texas. And I had um, been tasked with building out, you know, social media services for mm -hmm. this company, done for you social media services. So it was almost like I kind of got to test my business right, right. first, which was great. And I was giving a speech at the National Bowling Association. Um, and in my speech, I was saying like, hey, here's the mindset that you need to have when it comes to social media. Think conversation, not campaign. And I was like, wow. 
I was really feeling myself. I was drinking right. my own Kool-Aid. I was like, right. that is such a powerful statement. And I did. I went out and trademarked it before I even had a business. And then when I got the, you know, started the business, right. that became our tagline. Okay, that's funny. I mean, that, I mean, so that that's I tell you, she's smart, folks. She before she even started, she trademarked things. So I think that's I just myself. Genius. That's right. <laughs> so funny. Um, so and kind of back to kind of your history a little bit. You know, you tackle a big study in your book. Uh, that I think you started it as your college thesis. But before we dive into that, and I think this is the same company you just mentioned. But can you tell, share your story a little bit about the Facebook pub crawl? Because I thought that was really really cool. Um, how, you know, that kind of spurred some ideas on, okay, this can apply to other places. Yeah. So that was even before the sales and training company, I was in nonprofit Mm -hmm. in, in Dallas, Texas. I was the director of special events, uh, for the cystic fibrosis foundation. And I had, you know, like I think 12 events and had to raise close to about a million dollars a year through those events. And then they came to me and said, you know, one of the things we're going to task you with is starting a young professionals leadership committee. And um, you have to figure out how to get young people involved because typically donors for CF are, you know, much older right. and we need to start getting younger people involved, et cetera, et cetera. So I, um, I found some other like-minded young people. I was young at at the time. And um, we all had a connection to cystic fibrosis. My sister has CF, you know, maybe it was someone's cousin or best Mm -hmm. friend or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And we decided that to get people's attention, cystic fibrosis just wasn't going to do it, right? It's it's not a well-known disease. It only affects like 33,000 Americans. So we decided beer (laughs) was the best way to get young people's attention. So we used Facebook, which back then, this was like 2007. So there weren't Facebook pages. Mm -hmm. Facebook advertising wasn't out yet. They were just, you know, the Facebook profile. So we used a profile like you would use a page today. And we ended up in six in a six month period recruiting 7,500 people to attend the pub crawl and raised about $60,000, which most first year events only raised about $5,000. So I think we like 12x'd the event or something. And then what ended up happening was we did such a great job that they ended up um, implementing the YPLC or the Young Professionals Leadership Committee throughout all of the chapters in the U.S. So we were like the, the guinea pig and I would say we did a pretty good job. Oh, yeah, that's that's really cool. And the, the, the funny thing is she starts the book with kind of that story and then beer subtly weaves its way throughout the uh, entire. Maybe that's why I like the book so much. But uh, I yeah, like so, beer. Yes. I like beer. What can I say? I mean, you know, it's like, be, again, being your true, authentic self. That's I'm right. a, a lady who loves beer and I, right. I don't feel like, you know, being ashamed of that. That's right. <laughs> so, you and my wife would get along very, very well. Um, and, and you love horses. And so did, we used to have horses, too. So there's two connections right there. Um, so let's talk this. And it sounds you know, like we have to slap a, uh, you know, M14 rating on it. But let's talk about the social (laughs) penetration theory, what that is, how you came up. I mean, I don't think you came up with it, but you expanded on that. So just kind of give the brief overview about that. Then I have some questions about that uh, as follow up. We can call it the onion theory if you want okay, to. There you go. So, <laughs> people are a little more comfortable with that. So essentially the onion theory was formulated back by two social psychologists in the 70s. And they said that the way we form relationships is as humans is through self-disclosure. So Jeff and I are chatting at a party and we start talking. And as we build a relationship with one another, we disclose information to decide if we want to move the relationship to a deeper place where trust and loyalty exist. 
So really quickly, the four disclosures are cliches, right? Regular, everyday water talk. It doesn't do anything to remove the relationship forward, right? Like if I'm getting in an elevator and I'm having the worst day of my life and Jeff's in there and he's like, hey, how are you doing today? And I say, fine. That's cliche, right? Like I'm not even telling the truth. There's nothing authentic about it. We kind of touched on facts a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? Factual information is good, but it doesn't really move the relationship forward. The third and fourth levels are where that starts to happen, which are opinions and feelings. And once we start to share opinions and feelings, that's when we really start to align our, you know, moral core values with another person's values or the values of a brand. And that's where a relationship is formed, where trust is formed. That's how loyalty comes about. So that's uh, kind of what I used to look at social media and see, can we build relationships the same way if it's not in real life and it's happening on Facebook? And what I found was yes, because we're still human. Right, right, right. So in the the social penetration theory or the onion theory you know you mentioned a lot about and you kind of weave this another way not as much as beer but it talked about opinions and feelings is what connects people so mm-hmm. um the question i had and i mean i'm kind of just throwing this out there because i, I know what you're going to say but I, won't revealing my opinions alienate my followers like it seems to me and we're going to get into trolls later but everybody wants to argue online and you know, I know people think about like, okay, if I start putting my opinions out there or talking about what I feel about something, they're going to be this, you know, dumpster fire. And I, and as, if a business looks at that, like, I don't have time to deal with that. I'm just going to throw out toast because I have a lady who told me like, I, I am toast on the internet. She's got a big business. She goes, all I do, it's just toast. I, it's, I'm as exciting as toast, but that you're saying we can't do that anymore. We need to share those things that start conversations. So talk about that a little bit. Cause I know a lot of people are scared about sharing their opinions and feelings. I totally get that. It is scary because what I'm basically telling you to do, which is what we have to do in real life, right? Is mm. be vulnerable. And that's, never fun, right? That's, that's scary. But if you think of every delicious, wonderful, amazing relationship that you have, you had to probably get vulnerable. You had to share opinions and feelings to get there. And this is what brands are looking for constantly. I mean, how often do we hear about relationship and community and authenticity and all these buzzwords, but then you go look at their content and it's toast, you know, so the actions aren't following the goals. And I think, you know, the other thing that we need to understand is Mark, is that dissolution is a good thing. If, if, if you find, Jeff, that you don't align with me and you want to move away from me because our opinions and our feelings don't match, as a brand, I'm okay with that because I don't want to spend my time, energy, and money, which we spend a lot of money as brands on our mm-hmm. audiences and community, talking to someone who's never going to buy from me. I would rather have 100 really loyal, really rabid fans than 10,000 who never engage in conversation with me. Hmm. Okay, let's take this, this idea of like, we meet at the party for the first time, you know, and um, my, my thing is like how, how the velocity of the opinions and feelings, because if I meet you for the first time in the party and I start talking to you about my colonoscopy that I just had, that's, a, <laughs> you know, that's the step in that relationship, you know, minefield that, you know, a lot of people were not ready for yet. So, when when should brand, do brands just come out of the gate going sharing their opinions and feelings or is there a when you start with a client is there a gradual ramp up to this or how does this work because if a brand has been toast for five years and then they hire b squared and all of a sudden they're talking about you know their feelings and opinions is it that a little shocker to the system i mean how do you yes. deal with that 
hundred percent. And by the way, I had my first colonoscopy last week, so I would align with you there. I'd be like, oh, tell me more. <laughs> I turned 50 and it's the same thing. I was like, well, if I can yeah. get that drug to sleep, I'd get it every day, but go ahead. Oh, apparently I was awake the whole time, but we'll uh, have to save that conversation okay, later, for another well, later, time. Right. Um, so in the book, I actually have an il- illustration of the onion theory and it, and it it's a little onion. And, and that's exactly how I want you to think about this, right? There's the breadth of the onion, right? Going around and around and around. And if you are familiar with onions, which I'm sure most of you are, to peel those layers back and get to the core of the onion, that's depth, right? Right. So brands always need to be focusing on both breadth and depth. Those superficial conversations, which is where most of the brand content lives right now, right? Breadth, but also depth. If you're a brand new brand, let's say for some reason you've never been on Facebook before, you're just joining Facebook, you're going to be doing a lot of circling the onion. You're going to be doing a lot of uh, breath. Mm-hmm. But if you've been on Facebook for a long time and you're trying now to kind of incorporate some of these strategies that I'm talking about, you would not only focus on breath because hopefully you're continuing to grow your audience. Those new people need that kind of superficial getting to know you phase. But you also have to think about depth. And going into some of those opinion and feeling type conversations, because people who've been with you for a long time will expect that, will appreciate that, will want that. If you've already started conversing with them, they'll want to continue to converse with you. So it's a fine mix of Mm -hmm. breadth and depth, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you gave some great examples in um, your book on kind of the mixture and you even actually broke it down later. I think it was in some of the later chapters, like this is kind of the the formula of different types of posts that I would do kind of a thing. So I thought Mm -hmm. that was very helpful and that's all in the books too. So, um, one of the things when I was reading about the, the social penetration theory and and the onion theory, um, and what got me thinking is like, is this, is there going to be a place for direct marketing anymore? Or does this theory kind of make it irrelevant and changed into something else? Because, are, are we are we really getting mail and making a decision anymore like the direct marketing stuff? I just don't know. I mean, maybe the older demographic is, but and you mentioned before when you were writing your book, you had somebody come in and tell you like, okay, you can't say that. or the, And I even say things like dial tone and my kids look at me like, I don't know what a dial tone is. You know, like I'm like I said, I'm just on dial tone right now. And they're like, what? I don't know. What are you talking about, dad? What? Yeah. What's dial tone? So, I mean, is some of this stuff just going to go away, like direct mail or direct um, marketing? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I think this is part of why marketing is so scary or hard right now, or we're seeing a lot of people say, like, I've spent, you know, a million dollars on content this year and I have nothing to show for it because that whole broadcast direct mail, I mean, it just doesn't work on these younger generations. And if you look at the buying power of say millennials and Gen Z, who's the, you know, coming up behind them pretty quickly here, it's massive. It's massive. So I think even if you are scared, I would test kind of these theories because what we've seen over and over again is that the younger generations are looking for this type of relationship with brands. They're looking for brands who take a stand. They're looking for brand conversation. Twitter just put out a report. Um, I think it's called, oh gosh, what's it called? Let's Let's, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you and you can put okay, it in the okay. show notes, but it's essentially they, they surveyed a bunch of people, younger people, and 79% of them said that they expect brand conversation to happen with brands and that it's part of how they make their purchasing decisions. So we already know that people are going online to research before they make that 
that decision. But as part of that consideration set, they're looking at the conversations they're having with brands online to help make that purchase. So if you're not engaging in these conversations, or at least in customer care through social media, you are going to get left behind, especially as these younger groups come into more buying power. Yeah, I totally agree. And we've already seen that happen. Um, I do want to take just a real quick to go over to Amazon Live. And by the way, if you're not, if you're watching it somewhere else, this is the one time I'm telling you, come over to Amazon Live. Jeff C. Live comes to my storefront because you can buy Brooks book. And there's some questions about your book. Um, and Gary, ask a question. Gary Stockton, thank you for jumping over there, Gary. Uh, and we'll get to your first question about what uh, to what corporate accounts who don't allocate staff to, to for social media. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But one of the questions he does ask about your book is, there, is there going to be an audible version of the book? <laughs> You're like the fifth person that's asked me that, Gary. So I'm feeling like I probably need to tackle that next. Um, Granted, it's only five people, but I mean, (laughs) this is this is what I'm saying about marketing, right? right? We we have all of these different avenues that are available to us now as consumers, because Gary is asking this as a consumer, and we have to meet our customers where they are. So if I'm hearing now five times that people want an audible version of the book, to me, you know, it's kind of pointing in the direction of, I need to spend the time and money on creating an audible right, book. Right, which would be great. I mean, cause uh, you know, it's almost like a podcast. The audio stuff is growing and it's just another version of people want to consume your content. So. I Jeff, would listen to it. My voice on the. I hate my voice. <laughs> no, you know this. You I voice? sound like Kermit the Frog. You'd be like, it's you know, it would be. You could find a way better than me. But um, one of the, the one of the things I, we you know you mentioned that brands need to communicate on their platform, their audiences on. You talk about that quite a bit in the book, um, and you mentioned this at the beginning. But aren't don't you think people are migrating to the platform where people think they're going to be hurt? So for example. Um, and this is from your Twitter feed and I, you know, we've been following each other on Twitter for a while, but a couple months ago you were stuck in a Houston airport without air conditioning and, and it, like people were passing out. It was like four or five hours and Brooke doesn't usually complain on social media. And I knew that when she did, this was a big deal, but it was bad. yeah, it was really bad. And so, and Brooke doesn't usually do that on social and I'm like, okay, they need to take notice, but here's the question. Did you go to Twitter because you knew they were monitoring that more than they would be on like their helpline? I think it was American Airlines or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, and because you knew that you weren't going to go on a phone and wait through you know, their tree of people they're going to send it to you. So don't you think people know that now? I mean, especially the younger generation, they know where they're going to be heard at first. And that's the platform they're going. Even if they're not on Twitter a lot, they know if they go tweet a complaint, that's where it's going to happen. That's where they're going to be heard. Yeah, I mean, the consumer expectation is social media is real time. It does live 24-7. You know, whether brands want to get behind that or not, that's the consumer perception. So mm-hmm. I would try to get behind it, A. And B, yeah, I mean, I I really try not to do that because I work right. in this world right. and I know how awful it is. But, but it was the situation bad. was so bad that I had to, you know, we had to go back to the gate because there was a, a, a baby had a medical issue from the heat. So, I mean, it was... It was enough for me to go ahead and, and use that platform to get some attention. Well, did they fo- did they actually follow up to that tweet? Did they ever respond, or is this one of those they examples? They never where- responded to the tweet, but as we used you know email and and all of that to resolve the situation, um, we brought that to their attention. And I think you know we were able to to get them to give us more of a discount. They were trying they were trying to say that like the food vouchers and the hotel vouchers they gave us were enough. And I was like, <laughs> do you want me to go back to Twitter? <laughs> 
yeah, you don't want to get you don't want to get broke bad. Uh, but I mean, and so it, but it can go both ways. So um, this is an example I've used before is one time, and you know, Waffle Houses are big here in East yes. Texas. And I had this. I took a picture of this beautiful sunset, and I thought it was funny. And I took it, and it was it was like setting behind a Waffle House, and I made some tweet about it. But Waffle House, the company, followed up and said, "Hey, can we use this? Is it okay? Can I use this for user generated content?" And like, content. yeah. And so yes. I'm like, and I always remember that. And I think mm -hmm. that, and it would happen quick. And you know, it was I think it was on Instagram or something. But th that they didn't get back to you on that says something about their customer service, you know. But then Waffle House gets back to me about a sunset. I mean, so uh, you know, we we talk about social listening, and we've had you on the show talking about this a, a lot. But the importance of doing that. I mean, can you? Don't you think it's becoming more and more? I mean, even then you know, six months that you've been on here, important to listen on social media. Oh my gosh. It's, it's mind boggling to me that more brands don't use social listening because everything that we've been talking about, as wonderful as it is, even if you have the most amazing social ed customer care team in place, that's still reactive, right? Mm -hmm. We're waiting for people to come to us, to DM us, to tag us, to hashtag us, whatever it may be. It's very reactive, right? To take it to the place where we're really doing innovative marketing strategies. We have to use social listening because that's where we become proactive. Right. That's where, you know, American Airlines can go in and put in certain keyword listeners about that, that event. And they could have seen it bubbling up because I wasn't the only person complaining right, right. and maybe done something about it or had us back to the gate sooner or said, you know, look, people are really angry. They're putting stuff online. They're recording things. They're posting pictures. They've got a picture of a baby and an, mm -hmm. you know, EMT, right. not good. Let's right. pull these people, you know, off the plane or whatever it may have been. But and it's not just that, you know, I want to say one more thing. You know, a lot of times people will say we don't want to use social listening because no one's talking about us. And first of all, you got to fix that, right? People need to start talking <laughs> yeah. about you. But second of all, how do you know if yeah. they're talking about you or not? If you're waiting for them to tag you, you know, what if you're a big brand who's, who's product led and you have a hundred different product lines, people are probably talking about your products. But if you're not using social listening, you won't get that information into your inbox because you're not being tagged. Right. It's it's almost the same. Th so I did a lot of Pinterest consulting back in the day. And one of the things is people like, ah, oh, it won't matter. My company's on Pinterest because it's just, and we'd set them up on Pinterest and we, you know, you, you attach their website or whatever. And then all of a sudden they find out that all these people are pinning their articles with their images and they're pinning the wrong images a lot of times, but they're trying to save their stuff. And I'm like, if you don't know, you, you have to listen before you know if they're listening or not. So, that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, it's like real life also in that regard, yeah. you kind of have to listen before you speak, you know, listening is the key to, you know, all these different things. So, you know, and again, even if people aren't talking about your brand, again, fix it. They're still talking about your competitors. They're talking about, you know, industry topics. So while you're working on getting more people talking about your brand, go listen to your competitors. Go see the negative conversation surrounding your competitors. Couldn't you use that information to create a campaign that was set up for tactical differentiation from right. your top competitor to, you know, grab more share of voice for, for your brand. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a million and one things you could do with social listening. So, uh, you know, the excuse that nobody's talking about our brand a is a pretty lousy excuse right. and B it doesn't work. It just right. doesn't work. Yeah. So, so we talked about the American airlines and the waffle house thing, but, uh, and those are different places where people can enter on this customer journey. And one of the things, a quote from your book is, these days, the customer journey is nonlinear, so you won't always know which point will turn out to be most critical. 
So mm-hmm. somebody could be wanting to fly and they go and see this debacle that's happening in Arab America and go, nope, not for me, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to be flying. And so the other thing you said in the book that was really, really good, and I love the 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 word picture you used, you said, as we go through each stage, we want to be on the lookout for any potholes on that journey. We're not looking for best in class, luxury level experiences on this journey. We're just looking for an absence of bumps. And mm-hmm. you mentioned that smoothing the potholes is, and is one of the ways, you know, you compare you can, your customer journey with some of these general standards that people have. So like for loading times, let's say, you know, mobile loading times on your website. The question I had when I, when I saw that in the book is, where do you go to find the stats to find out if you're doing a good job or not? Because you know, a lot of the stuff, if you search for like loading times or like email open rates, they're like from five years ago and that's all changed. And like, we don't know, like TikTok, what is, what's a good, you know, return on investment in TikTok? What's, you know, some of that stuff that's so new, how do you find when you're trying to smooth these potholes out, what to compare to, to see if you're doing well or not? Does that make sense? Yeah, we, we use social listening. Um, so, you know, as we're looking at our themes in social listening, and so just for a quick basic idea of what social listening is, it's, it's like keyword listening, right? It's like mm-hmm. using keywords that are brand related, competitor related, product related, stakeholder, industry, any and all. And then you use uh, Boolean type searches like if this, then that, or but and or, right? right? To kind of really hone in on specific keywords that you're trying to decipher. As those conversations are being read by essentially AI in real time, the AI tags those conversations with sentiment. So positive, neutral, or negative, right? And the AI is not always right, but out of the box, you're getting a kind of feeling of how your product, let's just say product, is doing through social listening. So it's gonna see all of the people who are talking about this particular product, let's just right. say that, let's say the keyword we're using is best all-in-one printer, right? We're using that in relation to the brand term, right? That's reactive, all of the conversations that are happening. And if we see that a majority of them are negative, and we're seeing that it has to do, once we dig into those conversations, which you can do with social listening tools, we're seeing it all has to do with like the print ink quality, right? The black ink runs out after 10 times of printing. Right. How can we take that back in house and fix that pothole, right? Because people aren't going to continue to buy our best all-in-one printer if we can't get ink that <laughs> doesn't last for longer than 10 prints. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of times what we're doing, you know, for our customer care clients is going back internally and talking to product teams, changing product packaging, figuring out, you know, why the ink cartridge isn't working the way it is. It might be a manufacturing issue, but it's literally, I mean, at the end of the day, we could respond to the customer with a great response and quell their worries all we want, but we're still spending time and money and energy every single time we have to talk to the client who has a print issue. So why not take this back to the higher ups and try to fix that pothole so that that path to purchase is smoother, easier, and cheaper to get mm. done. Mm. That's a great point. Um, and she and she goes into this a lot of times in her book. And by the way, don't forget to go get her book at jeffc.live. There you can go to our Amazon storefront. I, she, she's highlighted, she can be highlighted the entire time of the show, folks. So make sure you get that book. Get the Kindle edition. The Audible book is coming soon because Gary says, uh, Brooke, you need to get on that. So, uh, okay, Gary, consider it done. (laughs) So I want to get to some of Gary's questions because he's got some good ones and I want to make sure we have time to do this because I want to do a good job of social listening. 
Um, he goes, I wish I could do social listening better. We got a lot of junk in our Gora Pulse, um, mm-hmm. f- but we haven't been able ever to um, tame it. And this goes to his other question, too, is like, um, what do you do with your corporate accounts? Because I know he works for a big company who don't allocate staff to do social media well. So I think there's two parts to that question is, you know, like, we get a lot of junk and we're short staffed. How do we do this well when, you know, we, we're a big company, we got all this stuff coming in? Yeah, I mean, my first thought, and again, I'm, I'm only saying this off of very limited knowledge, right, right? right? So it may not be the correct answer, but I would take probably, if you're a giant company, you probably have a massive content marketing budget. Most companies do. Year after year, report after report, we see that the content marketing budgets are going up. And I'm sitting here telling you it's not about the content, right? It's about the conversation, the community. So if you could take some budget from content and put it into social, I'd start there. You could outsource to a company like mine or someone else only because, you know, right. we ha- you typically have a team of like five people for the cost of what it would be to hire one really skilled employee in-house. Plus we work 365 days a year. Employees typically only work Monday through Friday, nine to five, right? There's kind of an inherent mismatch between social ed customer care and how traditional companies operate. And then as far as listening goes, you know, my big thing is I try to be tool agnostic. Um, We obviously love the tool that we use, which is Sprout Social, but no tool is perfect. And everybody has a different set of goals. So Gary, what I would do is understand what your goals are first. I've got a free listening workbook that I did with Sprout Social. I can can get the link to Jeff and to you, Gary. Um, Go fill that out because essentially it's all about figuring out what your goals are for social listening. And then once you know that, I want you to go demo some tools who provide social listening. And what I always tell people is tell them what your goals are, tell them what you're trying to achieve. And as you do the demo with that company, make them show you. I want you to show me. I'm trying to achieve X. Show me how your tool would help us achieve X. And if they can't show you, move on to the next demo. Because not every tool is suited for every company's goals or needs. Hmm. That's good. And Gary says that he does go into, you know, he says it's it's good for consumer brands like printers, but not for enterprise uh, business-to-business niches. He go, he likes to go into YouTube comments occasionally and bust credit myths because he deals his is a credit agency. So I think that's good to put your brand out there and and do that. It shows that you're listening, Gary. Um, yeah. One of the things you talk about a lot in the book about negative Nancys. I think I love it because like you and Jay Bear. I kind of, you know, embrace, you know, that kind of hug your haters, that kind of stuff. Uh, and you talk about the negative Nancy's and you talk a little bit about dealing with trolls and why we shouldn't fear them, but have a, a policy. But the question mm-hmm. I wanted to point out and ask you and share with our, our viewers and listeners, what's the difference between sympathy and empathy? Mm, that's such a great question. Sympathy is hearing something negative from someone, right? And saying like, oh, I feel bad for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're saying like, oh, I, I, I feel bad for you. I have no feeling about it. Empathy is taking responsibility for how someone else is feeling and putting yourself in them shoes and saying, how can I help you feel better or how can I help help fix this problem or pain point? So the big there's a big difference between the sympathy and empathy. And obviously what we're looking for in really good community managers is 
are people who can really get in touch with their empathetic side, which not everybody can do. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying you really have to take responsibility as a good social media community manager today to solve those customer pain points. And if you can't take responsibility, if you can't say, let me figure out how to fix this for you and really mean it, you're, you're probably going to either not do very well or just get burnt out really quickly. So Gary over on uh, Amazon says um, that would be awesome sauce about the workbook. That's right. There's a workbook that goes along with this that is, it's in the back of the book. It has the, the link in there. If you get the digital version, it has the link. You can just click on it. But it's also <laughs> listed uh, on there. Um, so if you guys don't ha you have access to that, just send me a direct message or Brooke a direct message, and she'd be more than happy to get that to you. Um, we talked about sympathy and empathy. We're kind of into you know dealing with the negative Nancy's and the trolls out there and dealing with kind of the customer service online. But can you also, this is another term I thought was great. Can you explain what a situational sorry is? Ah, yes. This is a shout out to Carrie. Um, this is a difficult one, right? Because obviously we serve our clients and sometimes our clients really don't want to say sorry, which I, which I understand, right? As a human being, I can right. understand yeah. not wanting to say sorry, <laughs> you know, right. We always hear the clients always right. Mm -hmm. Are the customers always right? Um, but even so they're, they're not always right. And so a situational sorry is kind of an, if this, then that conversational workflow that we've like an exercise that we do with some of our clients who necessarily don't want to apologize when something goes wrong. And so we've kind of convinced them that in certain situations, if this happens, then that right. happens, that we should apologize. And it's just our way of helping, um, you know, bigger brands kind of embrace that empathy side of what we were just talking about. Like sympathy is great. Empathy is really what's needed. Yeah. And, and Brooke does break this all all down and like shows how to tag different things in her book, like like the red, the green, yellow and red light, which is a great way to, to kind of categorize stuff and when to elevate it or take it to some other other branch in your company. Or if you're a small company, you know, you need to deal with this now kind of a thing. So it's really great when she breaks this down in the book also. So um, one of the things I thought was the, one of the best takeaways for me is the A3 formula. So can you talk about that really quick and just really briefly those three things that make up the A3 formula? Because I, if somebody, I think one of the biggest takeaways when it comes to customer service is this formula. I think it's really, really good. Yeah. So essentially the A3 formula is just about, there, there's actually a blog post on our blog that goes through and gives a little bit more than what's in the book. You know, mm -hmm. unfortunately, Tanya, my content editor, who I talked about earlier, like we had to cut some things, so it wasn't quite as long, but essentially it's all about figuring out how you can respond with empathy, right? So you have to acknowledge you have to align and then you take accountability, right? Empathy means taking accountability for, for fixing something. So I give that formula in the book and I think I give like 10 scripts for empathy mm -hmm. that we actually use. But on our blog, I want to say there's like 25 scripts for empathy that, that we use. So buy the book, but you could also go to the right. blog if you're not going to buy the book. Get the book, folks. Get the book. It's really good. <laughs> um, so the other thing is, is you talked to, a lot of it was... Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we get into this and we, especially if you're starting out solo and then you maybe grow a team or whatever, is you just kind of, yeah, yeah, you just kind of yeah. done stuff, 
Like you just like you just go and you trying to do business and make business. And sometimes the planning or the documentation kind of falls by the wayside. I know that's true for me. Uh, but mm-hmm. you mentioned having a living, breathing document is what you called about uh, for the rules engagement for customer service. And the thing you talked about two in there, which was really interesting to me, was that the tone of voice should be included here, too. Um, and this is where you decide to use like emojis or GIFs uh, and decide this tone of voice. So when I saw that and I've always like, I've really struggled with this cause I'm like old, but couldn't you be using an emoji or a GIF come across as not like taking the complaint seriously? You know, I mean, I guess it depends one on the platform you're on uh, and also your audience. But when I see what, if, if I tweeted a complaint and somebody responded with an emoji, I would just, that would just elevate it, you know? So yeah. uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. This is where social listening comes into play yet again. We can see through the conversations that we're having in social listening, you know, what emojis and, and gifts our audience uses when they're conversing with us. So we can, I talk about this in the book too, we can mirror that with mm. them. So if we see a lot of our, um, well, I'll just make something up. A lot of our community members use like the purple heart when right. they appreciate something. If we are in that, you know, pain point situation when we're trying to solve something for someone, I wouldn't necessarily use the purple heart. Like, I'm so sorry, purple heart. But if we're able to solve that pain point for them, maybe we can say like, appreciate you working with us, purple heart, because we're mirroring what we see the audience use. I mean, it's just another way we use right. social listening, honestly. That's a great point. I just, I, I just get nervous because I'm old school, you know, like what if, and, and plus I'm like, I need a dictionary to tell me all the, I know the smiley face emoji. That's about it. Um, it's so true though. But you know, think about the, like, think about some of these larger brands who have, have high volume. They right. oftentimes have, you know, four, five, 10 people on their right. team. Those are all people with their own personal preferences on emojis and, and gifts and memes and all that stuff. So, you know, having it spelled out with what's appropriate and when it's appropriate, I think is really important. Yeah. It's really bad when my mom figured out emojis. I'm like, mom, you should not, don't use that one. That don't mean. use the eggplant. Yeah, just don't mom. <laughs> I know what you mean, but that's not what it means. Um, so one of the things, and I think maybe the overarching thing of the the section of the book you talked about, there's this untapped potential of good customer service. I thought this was so good because we're always looking for how we can, you know, do better, get more business. And you're saying this untapped potential of good customer service is something that really can make a difference, not just for, you know, good feelings towards your company, but actual monetary you know, this can boost your bottom line. And one of the best stories I think you used in this book, and maybe you can tell a little bit about it here, was how Bloom Bottle turned this negative to a positive, and then they used it on social media. So talk about that a little bit, because that was a great example, and you have that post in the book uh, of how they did that. But just tell that story a little bit. Yeah, so Bloom is a makeup brand, and, you know, some of us are worried about aging. So they have this amazing, you know, anti-aging serum, and it originally came in the form of a a little bottle with a dropper. They changed the dropper to a pump. I don't know why, probably manufacturing or, you know, someone in product or packaging design decided it would be better, But, but the customer had a fit. Mm -hmm. online, right? There was a lot of negative conversations happening about why on earth would you change from a dropper to a pump for a serum? You know, serum should be delivered with a dropper. And they were obviously listening. 
and they they showed that they were listening um they you could see throughout the the lifetime of this conversation happening they were engaging in these negative conversations and and really you could tell like trying to find out more like well tell us why it should be delivered with a, a dropper not a pump anyways end of the day what happened was they listened to their customer and they changed the packaging back to a dropper for the serum from a pump and they got a ton of user-generated content, their customers sharing how excited they were about this dropper coming back. And they used all of that user-generated content in a post to announce that the dropper was coming back. So the, the picture in the book is, you know, it's it's a the product itself. And then they've taken all of these little right, pieces of right. user-generated content, put it on the photo, and said, like a little birdie told us, y'all were upset that we changed the product. We're so sorry. We listened. And not only did we listen, we did something about it. We're happy to announce it's coming back with the with the dropper. And people mm -hmm. went wild. But ultimately, that's what comes out of these conversations. When you're thinking conversation, not campaign, you can fix the potholes. You can you know, find out what the potholes are in the first place or why they exist. You can change your product packaging. You can gather all kinds of user-generated content and then use that to differentiate yourself from other brands. Because I can tell you right now, other makeup brands aren't listening and certainly aren't changing the packaging based on what their, their customers are telling them. Mm. It's such a great story. And Brooke, that's just one of the many. And I have a whole list of stuff. We're getting short on time, but uh, she has so many things that I, like I said, I have all these quotes that I've taken on Kindle and highlighted things in the book. And so if you get this book, I know you guys will too. Um, but the last thing I want to talk about, because um, it's near to my, dear into my heart, because we have a great one here. And in fact, uh, Gary says uh, he got his copy of your, your workbook. Um, he put it under his work account. So, but the thing is, I want to talk a little, as we kind of wrap things up about community and you said in the book and I quote, but community is what a lot of marketers get wrong. They're using community as a buzzword when they're really talking about audiences. So what's the difference between community and audiences? Your audiences have like a, 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 a soft relationship with you, right? They've signed up for your newsletter. They've followed you on Twitter or Facebook. Um, maybe they've downloaded, you know, one of your white papers, right? Mm -hmm. That's your audience. These are the people who you're talking to. It's, you know, a large group of people, hopefully. Community has a shared mission with your brand, right? They are advocates and they have bought into being an advocate for the brand, whether paid or unpaid. I say unpaid because if we start getting into paid, we're talking about influencers and not advocates. Um, same thing with user-generated content, by the way. There's been a lot of mess about paying right. for UGC. That's not UGC if you're paying for it. That's influencer <laughs> marketing. Right, right. Um, but community starts to happen. You know, a lot of companies are making the goal of finding and building communities, but community happens in the conversation, mm. not on the content. You know, if you start to have those conversations and you see constantly that Jeff keeps coming back on our B squared post and keeps engaging in these conversations and giving these wild, amazing, crazy answers, then I want to talk to Jeff. I want to say, Jeff, we're building a community and you've been such a wonderful thought leader on our, for our brand, on our pages. Would you be interested in helping us moderate this community or lead this community? Because community led communities, right, <laughs> you know, right. so the community members help lead the community with the brand. I think that's the best way to do it. But community doesn't happen on your content. It happens in your conversations. Oh, see, that's a tweetable right there. 
does not happen on your it happens on your conversations. Um, and one of the things you even said in the book is that you know some brands don't need to have a community. And it seems like there's this land grab, like everybody has to have a community around their brand. And no. what you just said that it happens around the conversation, I think is so true. Um, and I'm going to, this is just a plug in it, but it segues perfectly into it is to our friends at Ecamm, that socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. It's who we did the, do the show with. They're also our sponsor, but they have an incredible community. I mean, they're one of the persons, Doc Rock, who runs a lot of their stuff, um, he started as like just in the in their community on Facebook and was engaging and now he works for them. I mean, yes. uh, and their community, they have an incredible community where they're just helping one another and the and the brand just gets the bonus of that. And they're so good about talking, you know, back and forth to each other. So I love Ecamm. I love their community. If you're not a part of it, just do a search for them on Facebook. But also they have this um, live selling leap into live. Grace and I talked to their community about it. We were talking about um, how we actually get great guests and how we monitor, you know, work them through and our show notes and all that stuff. And you can get the replay to that at merch.ecamm.com. Just buy one of, one of their guides. They have a digital one or a physical one. And uh, you can get access to like years of their leap uh, 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 virtual summit. So go check them out. Ecamm, love them to death, but they're a great example. Uh, it was a nice segue, but they're also a great example of community done right. So, um, Brooke, once again, holy cow, this has flown by. I have so many more questions and things, but it, folks, buy her book. Once again, if you're not uh, watching, you can still go there later. Go to jeffc.live, uh, and it's down there in the com conversation. You can watch this replay on Amazon Live again, jeffc.live, um, and get her book, folks. Get the digital one. Get the physical one that you can give to a friend, uh, but it's also maybe coming out in audio 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 version so uh, check that out soon we'll see I just stretch my vocal cords well, you know you could use the script and you could just have it read it like with a ai thing but it probably wouldn't be as good, oh that so. would be see that wouldn't be authentic i know i have to do it myself i just right. i hate my voice oh, oh you, you sound great so brooke where's some where can people find what are you doing next where can people find you and have plenty of time we we talked about where the book is and how to get it but what else do you want people to go um uh, talk to you or i guess have a conversation with you about Yes, I would love to have a conversation with any of y'all about the book or just about any of the concepts that we're covering. You don't have to buy the book to have the conversation with me on Twitter. I'm I'm Brooke Sellis. You can pretty much Google Brooke Sellis, and I think I'm the only Brooke Sellis out there, so I should pop up. Our website is uh, bsquared.media. You can find me there too. But yeah, I'd love to talk about what what's happening what you're seeing what you're doing i'm already working on book number two oh, wow. so uh i'd love to you know hear your stories get more information and maybe feature you in the second book oh that's awesome and she is wonderful to follow everywhere i've learned so much from her i've learned so much for you guys the community gary says a great discussion today folks thank you for responding to his questions thank you gary for showing up almost every week i appreciate you my friend thank you for all you guys who are listening on the podcast and by the way brooke's name is spelled b-r-o-o-k-e b dot sellis s-e-l-l-a-s so make sure you follow her if you're just listening to the audio version of this because she is worth the follow get her book and with that folks we'll see you guys next week thanks so much for watching bye everybody Social media. Social media News Live.